we should go on tour. Do you think there's an audience for Let's Pod This in London? I'm sure Londoners <laughs> definitely care about Oklahoma politics. Everywhere I've been, I've run into an OU fan. So That's a big difference. <laughs> that's, that's true. They may be aware of Oklahoma politics that's because true. of recent news, but I'm going to guess they don't listen to Let's Pod This. Hey, London, how are you feeling? In London? <laughs> yes. <laughs> all right, that's all we got. Hey everyone, and welcome to Let's Pod This. My name is Andy Moore. I'm one of your hosts, and I'm joined by your friend and mine, Mr. Scott Melson. What's up, dude? What's up, man? Man, it's been it's been a long couple of weeks, you know what I'm saying? I, I do know what you're saying. It has been a long couple of weeks. Scott and I are using two new microphones today as we test some uh, new equipment so that we can do live pods, live podcast recordings out in the wild. For you. Are they going to let us out in the wild instead of in the upper room? I hope so. I mean, I kind of like upper room studios, though. I feel like it's, you know, it's got a... It's cozy. It's it's cozy. It's got a nice ambiance, but I can tell you that since it's located in the former attic space of a 120-year-old house in the summer, it's hot. A little sweaty. Yeah. Touch. Just well, a touch. This uh, the new equipment reminds me of two announcements I think we should start with, um, one of which is that... In uh, the coming months, um, we will be doing a live podcast uh, recording um, with uh, some friends. Um, yes, Mr. Riley Ross from Y'all OK. He's got another local podcast here focusing on all things Oklahoma. Right. And so we're going to do a, a podcast um, about the medical marijuana initiative that will be on the ballot in June. So it'll, it'll be between now and June. We haven't nailed down the date yet, but we'll put out information about where and when we're going to record that. And we would love to have a live audience join us there so we can uh, record, we can ask questions. You know, with these mics, we can move about the group maybe and uh, and have some uh, interaction from some of the guests. Can I tell them what it's called? Yes, please. The Joint Live Podcast. <laughs> because we like multiple puns. Colon, the Hempisode. The Hempisode. <laughs> this is like a <laughs> Snoop Dogg and Dr. Dre episode from right. my youth. Right. Wait, with them on my Walkman. No, I think it's going to be really fun. I think it's going to be... Um, informative. I think it's going to be a good time. We're going to do our best to get some legislators there um, talking about marijuana legislation that worked its way through the through both chambers this session or in some cases didn't, um, talking about some of the hemp legislation that was on the table this year, looking at uh, industrial hemp production in Oklahoma and why that might be a good thing for our state, as well as kind of getting into the nitty-gritty of the state question, what the state question will do, what effects it'll have. You know, I think that particularly with the discussions about school funding and government revenue in general that we've been having in the last couple of weeks, I think a big point of emphasis on the marijuana bill is going to be, is this going to bring in tax revenue? Is this something that could help solve the kind of chronic budget woes that Oklahoma faces? And I think that'll be an interesting topic. Right. There discussion are too. a lot of folks, including some candidates that are definitely hanging their hat on this being the golden goose that keeps giving and I don't know that's going to be the case. Yeah, I would even venture to say that it's not going to be the case uh, unless there are not significant changes made. But that's, Will, we're going to leave you on the tip of your seats, the edge, not the tip, the edge. We're going to leave you on the edge of your seat about why this marijuana, um, this mar medical marijuana state question that's going to be on the ballot on June 26th, why it might not be kind of the end all be all in terms of solving our perpetual budget crisis that's right so more on that soon but way before we get to that um we are going to announce right now and i'll put this out on the social media here in a day or two the tweeter on the tweeter that on uh, sunday april 22nd so just about a week away um we are going to have a uh, an event to follow up to this teacher walkout we're going to call it uh, something like walkout what's next because we've heard from a lot of teachers that you know, this this teacher walkout has been a really big deal the last two weeks, and we'll go into it in just a minute. But they want to know what's next. They want to know how do they how do they stay engaged? What can they do now that this walkout is ending? How can they stay engaged, and how do they um, kind of continue this advocacy they've been doing? Yeah, 100%. Like, and, and, and I would even go a step farther and say, we've certainly got that question from teachers, but we've got that question from teachers. We have it from 
parents, from administrators, from people like me who don't even have kids in public school but still think this is an important issue to, to, to know about. Questions like, how do we stay informed? How do we become better at advocating for things we believe in? You know, what's kind of, how, how does some of this politics stuff work? Um, and so we're going to have a, an event that will kind of start that discussion. And hopefully that's something we can continue throughout the summer with, you know, our quick fix series that we've done. We've produced the first two episodes, but I think that's somewhere where our quick fix series can kind of jump in and answer some of those questions, but we'll see where it takes us. That's right. So this will be Sunday, April 22nd from 2 to 4 p.m. It's going to be in the community building behind Oklahoma City First Church of the Nazarene. That address is 4400 Northwest Expressway in Oklahoma City, just down the street from TGI Fridays and Red Lobster. Um, So we appreciate OKC First hosting us there in their community building. Again, April 22nd from 2 to 4 p.m. I will put the information out on our website and our Facebook page this weekend. 2 to 4, you know what that means. It's after morning church, but before evening church. This is true. So you have no excuses. That's right. There's a parking lot, big parking lot right there. Um, Also joining, Scott and I will be Liz Wagner from the Women's Coalition. And uh, also, uh, I believe, Sabina Brown from Together Oklahoma. Absolutely. Some pro- some professional advocates. Uh, <laughs> Folks who know what they're doing. Yeah. Also known as lobbyists. Right. Um, well, I don't know if they're actually registered. I, I think Are Liz th- is. Yeah, I was going to say, I think, I know, I'm pretty, almost certain Liz is, but we'll see. Anywho, so let's talk about what happened this week. There was uh, a walkout, second week of the walkout, and today, on today's Thursday, we're recording this late on Thursday night, Um OEA has called for an end to the walkout. This is the end, beautiful friend. Yeah, what that means, I think, is a little bit of an this open question. This is the end, my only friend, the end. And, I, and I'll, I want to start by saying, too, if you are a teacher, a parent, you know, an administrator, who, someone who has been at the Capitol for the last two weeks... Um, one, props to you. I mean, that's incredibly hard work. It is exhausting work. I can tell you that I have not been able to be at the Capitol during this during this time. Um, I am exhausted just trying to keep up with what's happening every day from afar. Like trying to keep up with, you know, statements people are being, you know, statements that people are putting out or what's happening in the legislature and kind of fitting all of this together. A lot, a lot to follow all at once. Yeah, and and so if you're trying to do that. While physically being at the Capitol and being engaged in this, um, one, please sleep well <laughs> this tonight and this weekend. But two, um, well done. You know, I think that it's really been, for me at least, it has been incredibly inspiring um, to see the kind of engagement and activism and advocacy that we've seen the last yeah. two weeks. It's really funny. You know, I've had the opportunity to speak to a couple of different groups of college students this week. And as I'm telling them about what we do with Let's Fix This, I always start by saying, you know, we try to get uh, regular folks involved in politics and get them to go to the Capitol. And I realize, like, oh, man, this week has been a banner week for that because there's been, you know, somewhere between uh, ten to 50,000 people up there almost every day. Yeah, I, the highest day that I saw, I want to say it was Monday. this past Monday, 45,000 people. That's I mean, that's, that, is, that is incredible. And honestly, for almost two weeks, um, the Capitol has been at capacity, which yeah. is... Um, very rare, exceedingly, yes. exceedingly rare. So that's been really exciting. So, um, of the if the discussion is what happened and what didn't happen this week, what happened is the walkout, and then everything else is pretty much what didn't happen, right? Yeah. So what what didn't happen this week, Scott? So you know, un- unfortunately, and you know, I'm trying not to wade too much into kind of like picking sides here, but I'll say it. I'll say unfortunately. There really was no legislative movement this week, at least not on the issue of education, not on the issue of education funding. In terms of what happened, you know, a lot of committee meetings happened, some bills moved out of committees, some bills passed off the floor. You know, there really was wasn't even a ton of floor drama. All that really happened in the chambers this week was in the House. Every day in session, the Democrats would try um, to suspend the rules any number of times to bring votes on capital gains, income taxes, or cost of living adjustments for retired teachers. Every day they would try to suspend the rules. Every day those motions would be defeated. Every day they would adjourn. Every day the Democrats would ask for a recorded vote to adjourn. All the Democrats would vote not to adjourn. All the Republicans voted to adjourn. And that became the pattern. So yeah. that's 
and sorry to cut you off, but like, um, you know, we've talked from uh, time and again about messaging and and how things appear, and and I, you know, honestly, in six weeks, some folks may forget about the events the last two weeks, but to pay attention right now to the hundreds of teachers who were in the gallery and and the thousands who were falling online. For a bunch of folks who want this to appear not to be a partisan issue, it sure looked like a partisan issue. Yeah. And that's um yeah. even people that I was surprised that voted, and I think they were just voting to kind of move things along yeah. because they knew it wasn't gonna pass and so yeah. why even put up a fight? But that's the kind of thinking that gets us in this in this sticky situation. So yeah, I mean, it was it was frustrating. You know, it's frustrating for me to watch. I can't imagine how frustrating it was if you're a teacher that was there, like you know, really feeling like your career kind of hangs in the balance on yeah. some of these measures. Um, to see that happen every day, so that's what that's what happened. It was in many ways. I'm not a legislature. So I'm not. A, I'm not a legislator. So um, they they may disagree with me, but in many ways, substantively. It was a pretty typical week, right? The, and and honestly, you started by saying not a lot of legislating happened, and and it, uh, you know a decent amount did, but there were a lot of bills that died this week. So yeah. today was the deadline for bills to be heard in the opposite chamber, in committee, in committee, right? And so if they were not heard today, so like House bills that originated in the House had to be heard. In, they've already passed the House, everything, and now they had to be heard by the Senate committees. And vice versa. Right, and vice versa. And if they were not heard by today, then they're dead. And so a, a, a bill we talked about several weeks ago, the HIV education mandate bill, was due to be heard in committee today. You're kidding me. It was not heard. You're kidding so me. So it's dead for this session. We can bring it back next year. Well, now, it could be dead for the session. However, under the right circumstances, it could also be brought back Zombie bills. It could be brought back. So it could be put in as a floor substitute for a bill that maybe got through committee. People aren't excited about the HIV bill has some real advocates behind it. So what they can do is they can come in and they can kind of get a little coalition together and say, hey, you know, we have this bill on like, I mean, I'm not going to pick a subject because it'll piss somebody off. But right. like we have we have a bill the on the Policy subject Reform that, Act of 2018. <laughs> yeah, right. We have some bill that nobody really cares about. And we have this other bill that a lot of people care about and put a lot of time into. So we're going to do an amendment. We're going to do a floor substitution. And a floor substitution, you just kind of swap out one bill for the other one, right? Like Which you just, seems non-democratic or something. Like it, it skips around the rules. And I don't entirely yeah. like it. It's Robert, man. Robert's Rules of Order. It's true. It's, it's his rules. It's a loophole that exists for a reason, and it's one of those things that when it happens in a way that you like, you're like, oh, I'm glad this exists. Right. And the rest of the time, you're like, this sucks. This is cheating. I don't like how you do this. Right. I mean, like another example. So we spent some time talking about Representative Dunnington's equal pay bill, um, and that 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 version of that bill did not make it out of committee in the Senate. However, that issue is not dead because there is another bill that had deals also with equal pay that has a little bit different language mm. that did make it out of committee in both chambers and will be heard on the floor. And so there could be some kind of wrangling some kind and of swappage. Right. To get some of that language kind of swapped out. So Interesting. that's that the first bill is dead, similar to the HIV bill, but the issue isn't dead. All right. So about the walkout, um, we know what did happen, what didn't happen in total. Do we did the walkout actually accomplish anything? And if so, what? So this is a little bit of a sticky subject. That's why I brought it up. <laughs> so um, Phil Cross, uh, who is with Fox here locally, um, and Phil, uh, if you're listening, I want to make sure that I emphasize you do some really great reporting. Um, you're a bulldog, and we like it. Yeah, particularly with regard to freedom of information. Um, he is he is on those uh, FOIA requests, um, as I think they're known, mm-hmm. um, like like nobody's business. He had several. He's been kind of beating this drum for the last couple of days. Like the walkout didn't accomplish anything. All the funding that is now appropriated to education, all the raises, all the textbook money, all the classroom money, all that was done before the walkout happened that is technically true right but there's a distinction here that what happened during the walkout is different than what happened perhaps under threat of walkout right 
I I would argue that because of the walkout, there is now about five hundred million, and I'm I'm saying about five hundred million because there's at least six different estimates floating around of how much revenue this is, ranging from four hundred seventy five to five hundred seventy three. So I'm saying about five hundred million. There's about five hundred million dollars that are going to go to education next year that weren't before, and that happened because teachers said. If you don't do this, we are leaving the classroom and we're coming to the Capitol. Right. And they were hoping to avoid that from happening in some ways. Because right. a teacher walkout affects more than just schools. Right. And and I'll be honest with you. I personally, I don't know that there is anything the legislature could have done to avoid a walkout. No, it was happening. You know, and I mean, and I say that, and that's not meant to be, that's not meant to be a dig at the legislature. It's not meant to be a dig at teachers. What I mean by that is... The, the best way I know how to put it is you can only hit somebody while they're down so many times. You know what I mean? I think that any individual or any group of people has a breaking point, and I think that educators in Oklahoma had reached theirs. Yeah, I and, agree. And this, this last two weeks of, pro, of protest and advocacy and you know kind of whatever you want to call it was something that needed to happen for a lot of reasons. Did it result in more money? Like, did did teachers get more money by showing up at the Capitol? No. But I don't think that means that nothing valuable took place. One, anytime we see a group like this showing up and engaging with their government in such a direct way, I think that's incredibly valuable. It's inspiring. Like, that's why we do what we do. That's why we have this podcast. That's why you started Let's Fix This. It's so that people will do what the teachers did these last two weeks, right. number one. So that it's valuable in and of itself. Two, it's valuable because now there's about 50,000 people in Oklahoma who are engaged and paying attention and trying to learn about our kind of local civics in a way that they might not have been before. That's incredibly valuable. Mm-hmm. It's incredibly valuable because education is at the forefront of our local political discussion in a way that it should have been for the last 10 years and hasn't been, and now it is. And that's not something that I think is going to go away. So that's incredibly valuable. And it's lastly incredibly valuable because, as we'll get to here in a second, this week was candidate filing. Mm-hmm. There are hundreds of people who have never run for office before who are now. There are candidates who have maybe never had to face an opponent in their general election who will mm-hmm. now on both sides of the aisle. And I have a hard time arguing that that's not a good thing. So so to me, the walkout absolutely accomplished something. And I think that what it accomplished is incredibly valuable, even if that value can't be assessed in dollars and cents. Sure, exactly. So we saw on Wednesday that OEA put out, they started kind of putting out their talking points that they had achieved 95% of their of fiscal financial goals for this walkout, that they were, that they were started this whole process wanting more money for education, and they got 95% of that. And certainly got some pushback from some teachers because not everyone agrees. Not everyone is represented by OEA. They, I think they boast about 20,000 members um, so one of the larger education groups, but not the end-all, be-all. And in fact, this walkout was started by just some teachers on their own, not actually by um, an organization necessarily. And so now we are faced with the the question, the wondering, is this the end? If OEA pulls out, and they've said today in their, uh, in their press release that this is the end, uh, and they are shifting away from uh, the walkout and efforts at the Capitol, and focusing their eyes on November and on the elections. And, and as you said, we'll get to that in just a minute um, at the bottom of the episode. But what happens next? We haven't heard from uh, AFT. the, uh, the and, th- and they're not small. They're not as big as right, OEA. That's a national but, organization. But they're right? not small. It's a national organization, but they are the, they are the Oklahoma City. So Oklahoma City Public Schools. That's their AFT, group. that's their... So a lot of districts have their own groups. Like Sepulpa has their own group. Right. Which is, so this, I will say this, um, not fracturing, but this division or this um, diversity of education groups is maybe, I think, part of the frustration of a lot of teachers that they be- they belong to one for their district, but then they, there's other ones that are statewide and some that are national. And 
what about big districts versus right. small districts and who's in charge? And we saw some legislators saying uh, today, like uh, Greg Treat said, right. like, hey, one of the problems is we don't know who's in charge. Like, who do we negotiate with? Greg Treat, majority leader in the Senate, um, floor leader. Is he, is he majority or floor or both? Mm, I know. Majority. He, and he's, yeah. And he also runs the floor too, right? Yeah. Yeah. Stephanie Bice is assistant. We should look yeah. this stuff up before we start talking. Yeah. He, he runs the floor. Um, he's the second most powerful Republican in the Senate. Uh, and he's going to be pro tem next year. Yes. Yes. Um, he, I mean, he came out today and had, you know, made a couple of different statements. He did a really nice, uh, 30 minute interview with, uh, uh, Trey Savage, one of our friends over at Nondoc, mm-hmm. editor in chief there, William Savage the third. He, um, and said, you know, this has been really frustrating because we don't like one, a lot of people seem like they're asking for different things. And two, He's like, we're trying to sit down and negotiate, and there's 40,000 people here, and there's no one person who speaks for all of them. Right. And so how can we negotiate in, for, in, in good faith? And, and I, I'm going to harp on this just a little bit. That statement from Senator Treat, who I don't know personally, but m- everything I know about him, it seems like he's, he's a good, decent like guy. Like I'm, I'm not he's ever heard a, He's a standard Republican. Yeah. yeah. Well... <laughs> This is what happens when you live in a state that prohibits state employees from being able to organize and advocate and collectively bargain, right? That's like so. One of the things we're going to talk about at our uh, walkout, what's next uh, event next week, is kind of how are teachers and other public employees allowed legally to organize and advocate for themselves? Because there are some restrictions, um, and so I think that part of the frustration that we've seen in the last couple of weeks is born out of necessity Mm -hmm. because they're not allowed to have a statewide union that all the teachers can join and speak with one voice. Yeah, we got to do some research about this so we can speak in the educated form. Well, we're not going to do research. Um, One of our friends of the pod who is a law professor is going to do the research for us. Great. Thank you, law (laughs) professor, yet unnamed. Um, Uh, And I think she's actually going to... I think my hope is that she's going to actually be there. Oh, that'd be great. At our uh, walk. Yeah, she's going to be there at the walk. What's next to address these kinds of questions about Oklahoma employment law, specifically as it relates to public education and state employees and collective bargaining? Yeah. Excellent. Excellent. That's great news. It's news to me. It's news to you. It's a great news for everybody. So, um, so what happens next? We're not sure. So today is Thursday, as we've mentioned. Tomorrow, um, Oklahoma City schools are out. I think Tulsa's still out. Some of the big districts, though some have started to go back in. Yeah, Edmonds going back. Moore, I think, is going back. Norman is going back Monday, I think. And I, I personally expect that probably by the time people listen to this podcast, we'll, we will have heard yeah. that Oklahoma City and Tulsa, everyone else will be back in on Monday as well. However, I think a lot of districts are going to continue to send a contingent of teachers yeah. to the Capitol yeah. as representatives, as a, as a delegation to go to the legislation, uh, the legislature, and uh, and still represent their interests. Uh, and so we'll see how that happens. I, On a personal level, I kind of expect this to steadily decline over the next week or two. Um, there may be some folks that are still up there, but I think the legislature has made it clear that they have no interest in passing any additional funding related to education. And the governor's statement is, Hey, we need to move on to other issues, which is, which is not untrue, right? Because it's not, it's not untrue. Uh, it's just, yeah, I'll, I'll just leave it there. I mean, the issue (laughs) is that, is that there are many departments in our state that are hurting, right? Department of corrections is severely underfunded. DHS has been underfunded. You know, all of these departments have been cut consistently over the past decade. And now, and this is maybe the the benefit and the risk of the teacher walkout, is that now all of these folks have seen what can happen when you show up, good and bad, and that there may be other groups who take an interest in marching or at least trying to advocate in an organized fashion. So this was interesting to me. So um, OPEA, the Oklahoma Public Employees Association, so they said today they're ending they are ending their participation mm-hmm. in the walkout. Okay. Because the conversation has shifted from funding core services mm-hmm. to only funding education. And I feel like that's the opposite of what is happening now. No, I don't 
I don't entirely disagree. And I, my heart goes like, out to the public employees. They got kind of lost in the shuffle here. They did. And they were there every day. They fought. It was a smaller group. Um, and because you, they can't just close DHS. Right. Um, there's an, an OPA has a tough job with a diverse group that includes corrections and, you know, uh, child welfare workers and mental health agencies and all this stuff. Um, and so I think they, they really kind of got hosed in this deal. They got a tiny raise out of it, which is appreciated, but still tiny. Yeah, no, I agree. I just was kind of like, okay, I, I, I agree with you that you haven't gotten what you deserve, but I feel like the conversation is actually shifting away from education. And so maybe this is the best time for you to make your voice heard. If they could get 50,000 people to show up to the Capitol, that would be a good move, but they can't. That's touche. Fair point. I mean, like, in in theory, it's possible, right? Like, if the entire Department of Health shut down and said, we're going up there, and DHS did it too, one could say, you know, the argument could be that they would just fire everybody. I don't know that they would actually do that. Well, so this is a question that I have for our lawyer friend is, so yes, they are, they are as I understand it, public employees, teachers included, they are contractually prohibited from going on strike, right? That's why this last two weeks, you'll notice that no one in the media here on the pod, no one is calling it a strike. Right. The reason it's not a strike is because legally, it's not a strike. Every teacher, for the most part, who has been at the Capitol is there because their district gave them permission to be there. Right. They were not absent without leave. Because they can't strike against their school boards or their district boards, but they can they can walk out. Right. But then my question is, okay... So you're a public employee. Your contract prevents you. Your contract prevents you from going on strike. <laughs> like, what happens if you do? Right? If everybody calls in sick on the same yeah, day, right? Like, what? I mean, like, what happens? I mean, right? you would be. Sub- I I would imagine I'm not an attorney, but as a manager who has worked in uh, state agencies for a number of years, like, I would imagine that those employees who decided to take leave would be subject to the policies and procedures of that agency which likely includes up to and including termination. Okay, fine, but you're going to so so you run uh you run uh, a state prison and uh you've got guards that are there on the on the 8 to 3 mm-hmm. shift and none of your guards that work 3 to 11 show up. Like you're just going to fire all those people? Right, well, you probably and then not. and then your guards that work 11 to 7 just don't show up and you're going to fire all those people? Like the guards that are there have to stay and like guard the prison because like somebody has to do that. Pissed at their coworkers. I mean, maybe they're pissed at their coworkers, but maybe they're taking the hit. Like, like maybe it was organized in some way that can work. And same thing. Let's use like the health department. Right. If all those employees just didn't show up one day, they all called in sick. It's not coming. And I think maybe it's just you'd have to reach a critical mass for it to happen to be. Like, for you to be in the okay, in the green zone, you'd have to have enough of them that did it, right? So this is the risk of any kind of collective action is if the majority's with you, then you're probably okay. But if it's what if it's just you and, like, right. 20 people and you all get fired? Well, so, I mean, I think, I think a great kind of real-life example of this is more public schools. So yesterday, the superintendent of more public schools said more is going back to school on Thursday. Mm-hmm. And there was a school board meeting last night. Um, where the superintendent was there and was kind of being asked to explain his decision, uh, often by people who were pretty upset about it. Um, and there was teacher after teacher after teacher who said, "All right, chief, I'm not I'm not going to be at work tomorrow. Mm-hmm. You you know how many subs more public schools needed today? Three hundred, right? Three hundred and fifty. Okay, three hundred and fifty substitute teachers they needed today. Okay, you know how many they had? No, ninety two. Oops. Yeah. So." Now, do you know how many graduates next year there will be from education programs from state universities in Oklahoma? No. 300. Huh. That's it? Yeah. Whoa. Yeah. That needs to be out in the media more. You know how, you know how many vacancies we have statewide? Like 1,500. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So there's 300 graduating. Now, what do you think is the likelihood that we're super attractive for te- out-of-state teachers to come here and work right now? Between zero and one. Right. So my <laughs> so so my point is, if you're the superintendent of more public schools, are you going to fire 350 teachers today? No. Yeah. I so mean, this le- is- like legally, contractually, they're not allowed to strike. But what the hell? Like practically? And I mean, I'm really asking the question, and, and I know this is rhetorical because you're not a lawyer. So, um, but it's like true. like practically, like what is that like? What does that mean? That means they're up a creek. I mean, it means that students are not getting educated. And this is the tricky line that they're walking is that public opinion is finicky. 
and it could switch in a heartbeat between teachers are fighting for what they need and teachers are just should just suck it up and go home now and not burn my students who are there in school. Hundred percent. I would I would counterpoint. Thus far, it hasn't. No, but I mean, every day that passes, my my staff at work are getting frustrated. I got texts from two friends this morning at seven o eight a.m. that were frustrated with the fact that they were having to find childcare for their kids at seven a.m. when they needed to leave the house by eight so they get to work for a meeting, and and you know like. For as an employer, like I'm someone like we've been a little shorthanded, people leaving early, coming in late, trying to, and I've been accommodating, um, because it's not their fault, yeah. And even as a as a parent, like I've taken off some days to to be with my kids while they were out of school, and um, and everyone has a tolerance for that, and I think we're reaching that tolerance. I think you're right, but the next question I have then is your employees that are irritated at 708 when they're trying to find childcare to be by work by eight, who are they irritated at, right. Um, everybody. Okay. And here's, and this is the conversation we had before we started recording is that between the legislators and the teachers, one of them has public opinion on their side. The other one doesn't. Teachers have them on their side. The legislature does not. People are already already right. pissed. You're, le- you're like, what the the legislature has nothing, nothing to, to lose. lose because everyone already hates them. Right? If someone already hates you, what do you have to lose by That's screwing true. them over another way? It's like, oh yeah, you already hate me. Well, watch this. Right. And I and I want to be clear too. I'm not here trying to make the case like for any teachers that are listening. Don't don't listen to this and hear me saying like you need to go set up a t- tent on the Capitol lawn and be there for another month. Like, I don't, I don't, I I really think. If you had 50,000 teachers at the Capitol for the next month, I I think that this idea that the education budget is like done and we're not going to do anything else, I think maybe I think maybe that gets revisited. Now the alternative is the legislature continues ignoring them. They pass the rest of the budget, they sign and die in the first week of May and they go home and say, "All right, right. teachers, if you want to keep protesting, you can follow us home, I guess." And they're not going to do that, right? Like, so I... Th- I think there's three options here. One is to get 30,000 teachers up there again tomorrow and and Monday and whatever day and to camp out and just not leave, right? And right. to keep things shut down until the business community cries out. Right. Because they're not going to fire 30,000 people. Right. Like, so there's that. The second option is that they go home and they, uh, or they show up tomorrow and they file for office. And that a whole bunch of teachers run in every race. And we'll talk about that in a second because a lot of them are. Truth. And then the third option is one that we all should do. And that is to show up in November, well, in June, and then in November and vote. God bless America. And that's, and you've got to vote. Teachers, I said this to the crowd at the Capitol the yeah. other day, yeah. is that people used to be elected on the backs of teachers. If you didn't, if you weren't supported by teachers, you didn't get elected, and that changed yeah. somewhere in the last ten or twenty years, yeah. where teachers stopped showing up to vote. And so, if you're a teacher and you happen to be listening to this, or you know teachers, ask them if they voted the last time. Look them up on badvoter.org and see if they voted. <laughs> Publicly shame them or right. privately because, shame them because people don't vote. Four out of five Oklahomans that are eligible to vote did not vote in the last governor's election, and that means they didn't have a say. Tonight, I was at an event uh, te- speaking to some college students uh, with a lobbyist, and he pointed out that um, uh, in Edmond, the, roughly 90,000 people in, uh, in a senator's district up there, and he was elected because less than 2,000 people voted in that election on both sides. That means people who voted for him and against him was a total of 2,000 people. And so if you picture a room with 90,000 people and only 2,000 of them make the decision those 2,000 people probably don't represent you well, right? Those voters are likely older, like senior citizens. They're probably Caucasian. They probably are very conservative. And if that doesn't meet who you are, if you're a woman or you're a liberal or you're a young person or anything else, a person of color, anything else, you've got to show up to vote. And if you're a teacher who doesn't vote um, and you were at the Capitol this week, I, I'll be honest, like I want you to have a conversation to find out yeah. why you don't yeah. vote. Because that's part of the deal. Well, I mean, I talked to a rep last week that, you know, was saying when he ran for office the first time and he was going through his walk sheet. So a walk sheet is something that you get 
Um, you're yeah. going to run for office. Your party, typically, the that you hold the nomination for, they're, they're going to provide you with this information. And it's you go through the neighborhoods and you're knocking doors, introducing yourself. Hi, my name is Scott Nelson. I'm running for you know House District Five or whatever. Mm-hmm. And your walk sheet is these are the people who have voted in the last X number of elections. Yeah. And so, and and your walk sheet literally tells you. These are the only people you need to talk to. That's right. You and don't you like, don't need to knock on all these doors, right? Because most of them don't vote, right? And, and that's the thing, man. Wouldn't it be awesome in November if everyone showed up to vote and we really flipped this state on its head and surprised a bunch of folks? That would be cool. All right, we should move on. Oh, um, but this is fun. I know we could beat this um, <laughs> all night. So, um, also, what happens next is that there are a couple of other things out there that maybe um, play a role in education funding. One of them is the proposed ballot initiative by the OEPA, that is the small producers, oil and gas producers, not the OIPA. I know probably every third episode we have to make this distinction. Right. So OEPA has proposed a ballot measure that would raise the gross production tax on oil and gas to 7%. So earlier this year, they raised it to 5 This is still raising it to 7 and all of that going to education. And and just to point out, seven percent is where it has traditionally been in Oklahoma. That's actually it was, the rate. Yeah, like seven and, and and in fact, most wells, the vast majority of oil and gas wells in Oklahoma are already taxed at seven percent because they're taxed at seven percent after their first thirty six months in production. Right. It's only certain wells, these lateral wells, and only for the first three years that they're taxed at now five percent. It right. was two, now it's five. Until about ten years ago, I think. It was seven, mm-hmm. always. Right. And then they did this uh, 2% rate, incentive rate to incentivize. A coupon. Course, they got a coupon yeah. for the first three years, which That's is a, when they produce most of their oil. Yeah, and they did it because at the time, producing oil and gas in shale formations by horizontal wells was somewhat risky, very expensive. It's not that way anymore. Um, so I think most people, particularly in kind of the smaller producer world, feel like 7% should be fine for everybody to pay now. They felt like they needed a kickstart to get it going, but now it's cruising pretty well. Let's pull back on the coupons there, folks. So, yeah, so OEPA put this out. Um, Scott, do you know, is this still in play? Is this still out there? I don't know. Um, that's something we're going to have to look into next week. I haven't reached out to you know our friends at OEPA yet, just because I kind of wanted to see where everything ended up with, right. the, with the walkout. But, you know, they're advocating for seven, and we got to five. So... I would anticipate that they're still going to push for this, but maybe not. I thought that that was part of the deal was that if they signed off on the five percent deal, which is a good deal for them too, that they um, that they would not pursue the seven percent. That was step up. Oh right, that was step up. So that was many not, plans. That wasn't that wasn't part of House Bill Ten Ten X. I don't know that OEPA. I never saw them publicly take a position. We should ask Joe. We will. I will text Joe tomorrow. All right. Um, and then the other thing that's come into play in the last week or so is uh, former U.S. Senator Tom Coburn. That um, guy. One, one of Dr. No, as he is known, which sounds like a James Bond movie. Hello, Dr. No. Um, he got that nickname because he voted no on so much stuff in Ooh, Congress. Like everything. Um, he is a physician from Muskogee or McAllister, somewhere out east, I think. Um, but anyway, he... Um, has a group now. He is pursuing a ballot initiative as well that would basically all of the... So his initiative is to take all of the all the revenue measures that the state legislature just passed in the last few weeks, and if you've listened, you know they had to achieve that 75% majority. So they managed to squeeze up to that really high hurdle and get it over and pass these laws. He has a ballot initiative to basically like come in behind that and say, yeah, okay, you did that, but you still have to get the public to sign off on it. It would, re- it would require the public to basically uh, endorse that already high bar that the legislature put. So it's yet a higher bar because he really hates new taxes. I, I just, it just feels like, why <laughs> you know like i well, just and, you know like i'm hesitant to even talk about this because i'm afraid i'm just gonna go off in a way that's not productive <laughs> like i just you know i mean look he he is from that dr coburn is from that school of thought doctor senator i don't know whatever his he's both you know his like 
he is from that school of thought that like any tax is a bad tax. Any tax is a bad tax. And he said in his press conference he believes that there are four hundred to five hundred million dollars in waste in state government, which is an enormous amount of money. Yes. Four to five million? Uh, maybe. I mean, I mean, honestly, yeah. There's probably four to five million dollars of waste, and you're that sounds like a whole lot, but the state budget is something like six billion dollars, so that's <laughs> less than one percent, like well under one percent of waste. Um, one tenth of one percent. I mean, like by like so. For instance, you know, one of the things that we hear talked about. You've heard me say this on the pod before, but if this if this is your first time, welcome, and uh, <laughs> consider this your introduction to Scott's favorite statistic. Um, if you like school reform, like uh, administrative reform, so we hear talk all the time about if we would consolidate Oklahoma's 500 school districts. The state of Florida has, you know, 73. Like, you know, state of Florida has 73, and they have so many more students than Oklahoma, and Oklahoma has 550. Fine, consolidate the school districts. Do you know that if you undertook every single reform advocated by those who who are pushing for administrative and district level consolidation? Do you know how much money you would save? $30 million. Okay. $30 million, which is, which is less than 2% of the current education budget Mm -hmm. that just passed. Okay. Less than 2%. By comparison, in house bill 1010 XX, which is the education budget that passed two weeks ago, there is $33 million earmarked. It's a line item, uh, line item, uh, budget for textbooks. You know what? That's enough to do. That's enough to buy almost every kid in Oklahoma public schools one textbook. So each school can replace a textbook for one subject per grade. Ooh, math, science, or English. Right? That, that, like, that's it. So if you do all this administrative consolidation, that's not even enough for each school to replace one textbook in one subject. Like, I'm sorry... There's just like this, this idea that there's half a billion dollars of waste. It's just not there. It doesn't hold up. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And and the thing that really frustrates me about this is that right now about seventy two percent of Oklahomans agree that teachers needed and deserved a raise. And if Senator Coburn gets his forty nine thousand signatures to put this on the November ballot, none of these taxes will be collected and none of these raises will go into effect until it's approved by a vote of the people. So that's six more months that our teachers have to live with this, you know, these paychecks and resources that are so far below so far below what they deserve. It's six more months for teachers to look for other jobs in other states. So womp womp it's just, womp. Uh, anyway. So all right. Well let's take a quick break so we can uh, take a deep breath and everyone can recoup from that uh Shit show. I think I did well there. <laughs> you composed yourself quite well, Mr. Melson. I held, my, I held, I, I held back. <laughs> All right, so we're going to take a quick break, and then we'll come back and discuss a looking ahead to the future for the rest of the year and what might happen. Okay, we're back. And as we said before, the break, we're going to talk about looking ahead to rosier, happier times in the future. Or at least, what might happen for the rest of 2018. Why do we think that'll be rosier or happier? I don't know. I'm just making that up to make myself <laughs> feel like, better. Uh, so you seem awfully optimistic. I'm a bit of a, a Pollyanna-ish. Polly-Andy, if you will. Um, oh, but I'm... Good dad joke there. So He's here every week, ladies and gentlemen. That's right. Please you tip your waitress. Tip your waitress. Do you th- uh, what do you think will happen for the remainder of session? What else do we have to look forward to, Scott? You know, I don't think there's I don't think there's going to be a lot of drama, honestly, because you know the education budget is usually a huge sticking point, and we usually don't get to the 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 whole budget as right. a whole until early May. Yeah, and sometimes late May. Right, um, but since they've already got that big chunk out of the way. Yeah, I think that's a you know that's that's that kind of smooths out the waters going forward. I think one thing that has the potential to be a big fight coming up is wind levies. So mm. there's been a lot of talk in the last couple of weeks about um, doing away with or capping these credits that wind companies are allowed to take. Essentially, the way it works right now, we have several incentives for zero emissions energy companies to locate in Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. The way that those incentives are structured currently for wind energy is that 
they actually do get money back from the state at the end of each fiscal year. So it's not just that they save money. It's not just that they pay less than taxes, that they pay lower taxes. If Even if they fail to generate a profit, the tax credits are structured in such a way that the state of Oklahoma writes them a check. So if you win, you win. If you lose, you win. Yes. Hell of a deal. It is a, it is a hell of a deal. Now, that is something that gets kind of, a, to use a true Oklahoma expression, that gets a burr under people's saddle if you will, that gets people kind of pissed off. Like we're in a budget crisis and we're cutting a check to these big companies, many of which are not located in Oklahoma. Mm -hmm. Um, However, I think there's a couple of things that are important to point out here. Number one, um, the reason that we have massive wind investment in Oklahoma is one, we have the climate for it, but two, we have massive wind. Yeah, we have massive wind, but we also created an environment that was very, very friendly for these companies. They didn't just pick up, and like, you know, scan the horizon one day and say, hey, I think we're going to go to Oklahoma. We actively sought out these companies that are headquartered in other states, sometimes other company, other countries, and said, hey, come spend your investment dollars in our state. And if you do, here's what we're going to do for you. Make it worth okay? your while. Right. And part of that promise was these tax credits. And there I can just, you know, Andy, you and I have talked to the same people who have told us repeatedly the same story that some of these wind companies – their their major partners, their major investors are big multinational asset management companies who control hundreds of billions of dollars mm. in assets around the globe. Right. And they have said, look, if you want to put a tax on wind, like a gross production tax on wind moving forward, fine. Like we're not happy about it. And Republicans and Democrats are all have all said fine, great. Yeah. Like they're not happy about it. They'll do it. They think it makes Oklahoma less competitive, which is of course what they're gonna say, but like they'll deal with it. Mm-hmm. But they have also all said if you try to go back on these tax credits, which are in writing, which are in contract, like one, we're going to sue you in every quarter which we have a venue, and two, we are going to effectively blackball the state of Oklahoma mm-hmm. for further investment. So it's going to cost the state money either way. Yeah, like we're going to tell all the companies we do business with, hey, if you want to do business in Oklahoma, you can count us out as a partner Mm. because we're not not going there because we can't trust them. Right. So they're basically saying, uh, well, we've said, hey, we've got big wind and big tax incentives. Come on down because unlike oil and gas, which exists in a somewhat finite quality in the ground, right? Like, the oil reserves in Oklahoma just can't be found somewhere else. Right. But wind blows everywhere. Right. Whether it's uh, in Oklahoma, Nebraska, the the coast of Denmark, like there's wind in the world, and people can harness that for their needs wherever it might be. Um, but these companies are saying, hey, we're going to come there because of these incentives. You can tax us, fine, but if you undo the incentives or take them away, then we're going to not just pull out, but we're going to pull out and tell other people not to go there. Right. And, and not, we've and, got the clout to make it happen. Yeah, and not and not just tell other people not to go there, but like these are these are companies that I mean they have they have business in all different sectors with companies all over the world. Mm-hmm. Like if you, the Illuminati. Yeah, I mean, well, I mean it's, it's not quite the <laughs> Illuminati, but it's it's these are companies that other people depend on mm-hmm. for investment capital. And if they say you can count us out if you're going to Oklahoma. That's a big deal. It is. Um, so, you know, there's uh, a bill, Senate Bill 888. Um, it went through committee this week. While it was in committee, Representative Cooty proposed an amendment that would essentially do, that would cap these credits, I think, at $25 million. Um, the amendment passed. It passed not on party lines. It was very close. It almost didn't pass. It was 14 to 12. Um, it's going to go to the floor. I think it's going to be a fight on the floor. I personally don't think it's going to pass. I don't yeah. think it will, and I believe that because this amendment this amendment was added, it would have to go back to the Senate if it passed the House, and I don't believe it would pass the Senate. Um, but in my opinion, it would be bad. So that's, that's something yeah. that we definitely want to keep an eye it's on. It's a complicated issue. I tried talking to an energy lobbyist tonight about it, and he was just like, "Ah, oh, man, it's a big deal. Like, it's kind of too hairy to get into in a hallway conversation." So. You know, as in last week, we uh, Scott Mitchell had us on for Mitchell Talks uh-huh. live with uh, News on Six and News Nine. Uh-huh. Um, he had a great discussion on Tuesday with Jim Roth. With Jim Roth, yeah. I would encourage everyone to go back and watch that. Kind of, it's about fifteen minutes, and it really kind of delves into this in a way 
that that Jim can kind of get into this with some expertise that we don't have mm-hmm. and talk about why this is such a big deal and why it would be, in, in my opinion, so bad for Oklahoma. Yeah, Jim's uh, um, worked in the wind industry for a long time. Used to be a uh, corporation commissioner, I think. Um, so facebook.com slash Mitchell Talks is the uh, direct link and just look at the videos. Scroll back, find the one with Jim's face on there. Anything else on your radar for a session? Um, man, that's honestly, I'm not sure that's about it. I'm sure there'll be a few other things that pass through. I don't know the status of those, uh, sunscreen bills that we discussed (laughs) early in session. Right. Um, and I'm, I'm really looking forward to looking back at our, at our predict O-Rama we did earlier in session because man, that got blown to hell. The the gun bill that allows you to claim virtually anywhere in Oklahoma as a place of worship and thus defend yourself and stand your ground passed out of committee today. All right. So it goes to the floor then, huh? Yeah. Here we go. Um, so that's it as far as the the bills and le- legislature go. But another big item of note is uh, we've had some tremendous turnout for filing for public office this week um, for not just the legislature, but also other statewide elected offices. such it's as inspiring. Governor, lieutenant governor, a whole bunch of uh, judge positions. Yep that no one ever knows whose people are. Right. Um, and uh, so as of today, so filing is Wednesday, Thursday, Friday this week. Again, we are recording this on Thursday night. Um, so after two days of filing, um, day one, we had 430-ish, 450-ish people file, which is the highest in 20 years, basically, since the year 2000. Uh, and then today we had another 150 or so file. So 600 people have filed collectively for state offices. This is dwarfing the last four gubernatorial years. Right. Like, which, which is crazy because that's not, a yeah, big it's, deal. It's not close. Um, as an example, uh, Senate, or excuse me, uh, House District 20 for the, the House, um, currently held by Representative Bobby Cleveland, one of two of the eldest statesmen in the state. Um, in fact, one of two, um, maybe the eldest statesman, one of two of the eldest um candidates that have filed. He's 74 years old, which I learned from this filing um, information. Uh, he has one, two, three, four, five, five Republican opponents that have filed, one Democrat and one Libertarian. So that is a total of six, seven, eight candidates for this one House seat. How about them apples? Dude, that's, uh, it just, it makes me happy. Now, I do, I do need to um, put out there, if you are listening and you are a lawyer... I need you to take a look at your like current practice, whether you're, you know, just see what you're doing and give a serious consideration in the next 24 hours to running for district attorney. So right now, 72% of the district attorney positions in Oklahoma are unopposed. Okay. So there are 72% of candidates that are running for district attorney in Oklahoma do not have an opponent. Interesting. And that, to me, like the the DA, like that's one of the most. That's they what, like that's they a, set the tone for the is, county. Yeah, it's a vital, vital position in local government. So, um, I don't care what party you are. I don't care what your legal philosophy is. If you're an attorney and you've uh, you've thought about getting involved in public life, look what district you're in. See if your DA is running unopposed, and if he or she is, um, throw your hat in the ring. File. Of note, uh, I, as I was scrolling here, I saw that uh, Speaker McCall has no opponents filed so far for District 22 down there in Atoka. Um, so if you happen to live in District 22 and you want to run against Speaker McCall, you've got one more day, and you'll probably not listen to this before that. So tomorrow... He's I, he's unopposed this year. I don't think he's going to be unopposed in 2020. Probably not. Well, but, I think in 2020 he may have a um, serious and well-funded opponent. Interesting. All right. Um, so there are a ton of people. Um, we, if you haven't looked at this, you can go to ok.gov slash elections, and there's the full list. They actually have it um, where you can look at it as a website. They have it as a PDF, as an Excel file, and an XML file. Uh, and so the Excel file, the spreadsheet, is really handy. It's got all the information in there. Um, once this is done tomorrow, and we're going to work probably in partnership with some other organizations and other people to pull this out. And at least for the big positions, the governor, lieutenant governor, treasurer, all those positions, 
and for as much the, of the legislature as we can, we're going to try to divide this out for you. And we're going to do the legwork of Googling all these people and trying to find their websites, their Facebook pages, their Twitter profiles, whatever. Because every election, I get so many messages from people that want to know, how do we find out about these candidates? And I'm, I'm, I don't know, just Google them. Like, that's what I do. Um, but I think if we all kind of pool our effort, we can put it together in one big resource and make it publicly available and save us all a bunch of time. And I think that would be really helpful. Um, and if there's a way, you know, this may be a lot of programming involved, but kind of do a side-by-side comparison um, about some of these people, at least so you can see if they're, I don't know, what they compare their ages or what they do for a living, that kind of thing. It's a lot yeah. of information. I think, I mean, I think certainly, um, I think we're going to try to do some of that. I think once once we're through the primaries, you know, once we see kind well, of what's a lot easier after that. Yeah. Once we have general election components, I think it becomes a lot more, you know, we can do a little bit do more. Right. So uh, okay. this is important. Speaking of primaries, stop whatever you're doing right now. We don't don't stop the pod. Just stop. Celebrate and listen. It's collaborate. Oh, it is collaborate. <laughs> I'm definitely leaving this in. Yeah, leave it in. I know the I know all the words. Um, <laughs> stop what you're doing. Go to ok.turbovote.org. Ok.turbovote.org and sign up for election reminders from TurboVote. They will send you uh, a text message, maybe an email, a few weeks in advance, and then like a day in advance of whatever election is coming up for you. So you put in your address, then they look it all up. They will send you reminders for school board, for city council, for state, whatever. Super handy, super unobtrusive. I have a friend that has zero tolerance for like spammy messages, and she has been very appreciative of her reminders for TurboVote because at least gets her thinking a few weeks in advance. Um, you can also go to the state election board website, ok.gov slash elections, and sign up for uh, absentee voting, a.k.a. vote by mail, which is very handy. Um, but on, And also, while you're on that website, on the election board, look at who filed for your district. Um, if you don't know who your legislature is, legislators are, go to oklegislature.gov. Two things. Yes, sir. Stop, celebrate, and listen. Where did that come from? I, I don't know. Don't even know. And two... We have gotten some um, feedback from various people listening that at times we interchange the words legislature and legislator. We do because it's yes a mouthful. I want to I want to make sure that everyone listening understands we absolutely know the difference between the words <laughs> legislature and legislator, and I think that we largely rely. Well, I mean, we try to say the right word, but. They both kind of roll off the tongue, and we both talk fast. Sometimes you catch it, sometimes you don't. Yeah, and so if that gets missed, please please use context to help yourself determine if we are referring to an individual legislator or the collective legislature. I, I will say, in my defense, my mother has told me my entire life that I mumble. I went to speech therapy when I was a child, and I work hard to overcome um, <laughs> some of my uh, early upbringing. I apologize if I should mumble or uh, mix up words on occasion. I, I definitely talk too fast. On a positive note, perhaps that prevents you from listening to the podcast and fast forward. There you go. Although as chipmunks, I think we sound very astute. Oh, God. We're at that point. So what else are we talking about? That's it. That brings us to the end of this episode. Remember, you can connect with us on Twitter and Instagram at Let's Fix This OK. Scott is at SC Melson, and I am at Andy OKC. You can also like our Facebook page at facebook.com slash Let's Fix This OK. Our website is letsfixthisok.org, and on there you can sign up for our newsletter, read our blog, find resources and details about upcoming events. Our podcast is edited and produced by Scott and me. And Let's Pod This is a member of the Mostly Harmless Media Network. Our theme music is generously provided by the Sugar Free All-Stars. Let's Fix This is a nonpartisan, nonprofit organization. We strive to educate and equip all Oklahomans to engage with the government. We encourage you to get involved in any way that you can. And remember, decisions are made by those who show up. This is the end, beautiful prayer. 
This is the end. My own.